welcome to today's Sport in History podcast. Uh, this is another episode exploring the work of some of our postgraduate and early career researcher members. Uh, today I'm talking with Dr. Sarah Hardstaff. Sarah was awarded her PhD in 2020 by the University of Cambridge. Her thesis title, Hidden Economies in the Novels of Mildred Taylor and Cynthia Voigt, compared the author's representation of character agency in the context of economic activity. Um, Sarah is currently working in publishing and in her spare time is working on identity, representation and coming of age in football fiction for children. So uh, thank you firstly, Sarah, for joining us. Um, tell us a little bit about your doctoral work. Thank you so much for having me, Katie, and hello, everyone. Um, so my doctoral work, the, kind of, the sort of long-winded story um, is that when I was doing my master's in children's literature, um, I started out being interested in um, the representation of child bereavement in books, so not economics to begin with. Um, and there's this kind of school of thought in children's literature that one of the reasons you will have absent parents or kind of kill parents off in children's books is to free up the children to go off and have massive adventures. Um, but then in the books that I was looking at, it was more the case that the absence of a parent or the death of a parent was the hardship that the child then had to overcome over the course of the story. Um, and very often accompanied with economic hardship as well. So that was the kind of route into thinking about economics um, in children's literature. So thinking about how children's books deal with, with work, with property, um, banking, um, exchange, you know, going to the shops is quite a common theme in, in children's books. Um, and acts as this, this kind of uh, test of adulthood almost, you know, yeah. going to the shops yourself and uh, making your own money. Um, so then for the, the PhD, I focused on two um, American writers, Mildred Taylor and Cynthia Voigt, who, um, who both write, you know, really beautiful um, stories about families um, and amazing child characters um in you know really interesting and different settings but also over the course of those stories tell us something about the economic system in America and how race and class factor into that um and so that is what I looked up for the for the PhD ah as you mentioned obviously you've chosen um American authors and you you, you write about um obviously you talk about in your thesis that um, you're kind of writing about the United States as a bit of an outsider. Um, and I, I really love what, because obviously I've written about the United States in my work um, as an outsider. And you write in your thesis about kind of this idea of crossover scholarship, um, where scholars are writing about groups that they don't necessarily belong to. Um, I guess, how have you found that experience? Do you think there are pros and cons to kind of crossover scholarship? You know, what can we learn from that sort of thing? So um, I really love the, the concept too. Uh, it's, um, so crossover scholarship uh, is a term coined by um, Michelle Martin, a professor in children's literature. Um, and very much in the context of thinking about scholars working um, 
in contexts that, that are not their own, but looking specifically at race. So thinking about um, white scholars writing about um, black authored books and, and uh, books with, with black characters. Um, and I think there are, there are suddenly, you know, look at an author like Mildred Taylor and you think, well, hang on, there were all these books and, and journal articles written by white scholars, but then all this amazing, insightful work written by black scholars that's in dissertations and master's theses. And what was the pipeline problem that meant these didn't become the books? Um, so I think as an outsider, you, you can bring a kind of outsider's perspective um, while also being kind of conscious of um, you know, issues around citation practices, um, your own positionality. Um, and I think that's just a good practice anyway, um, and one that will definitely be relevant in the, the football project too. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I was kind of aware of and something that, you know, PhD supervisors are like, just make sure that, for, you know, if you're a viva, just in case they ask you about uh, what it's, you know, coming at, you know, a, an American sport, writing it as a Brit. Um, and like you say, I think, you know, there are, there are, there are pros and cons, um, but especially with things like historical pieces of writing, um, what I was kind of thinking was, um, I mean, for me, it was a sport that I'd, you know, I loved and I'd grown, um, I'd followed for a long time, so I was aware of its cultural significance, I suppose. Um, but sometimes it's not that much different to, you know, people who are writing about historical pieces, they didn't necessarily live through, you know, those years. Um, you can, you know, I think, as long as you ground your your research in, you know, lots and lots of background and context and, and things like that, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it can be done. Um, yeah. But then, but then I you think Sorry, I was just going to say, I think as well, it's it's that awareness that people are going to ask you why you're interested in this and you, you yeah. need to have a good answer. Um, I mean, we were talking uh, a little bit before we started the recording about um, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry um, by Mildred Taylor, which actually for a lot of um, British people was uh, a text that we read at school. Um, I read at school, Katie, maybe you read it at school yeah. as well. Um, and part of that awareness, okay, well, I became interested in this text after reading it at school, but isn't it interesting that this was the text and not a Black British authored text? Mm. Um, again, I think it's just about taking that awareness and, and seeing, well, where can we... Um, where can we kind of shift the attention and, and, and whose research can we amplify and, and um, support as we move forward with our own as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think with, um, I was a, it was on Twitter the other day that, you know, the BBC had these experts in talking about um, the, the England football team taking the knee and, and all the, all the panellists were, were white and you're kind of like, you know, there is fantastic scholarship out there being done um you know by folks that would perhaps be a little bit more more relevant but um yeah um and continuing with your thesis before we get on to kind of what you're doing now I, what I really loved was the the coda that you had in your thesis where 
you actually explore the impacts that your research should have for teaching. Um, and I think, I mean, do you think that's something that more people should be considering? Because I think it's a really, I think as a teacher, it's a really worthwhile thing to have in, in research. Yes, I mean, it was something I wanted to include because um, the children's literature programme I was in is based in an education faculty. And um, so we did have that kind of link to education. Um, but also because I started kind of collecting teachers guides and I had looked kind of so much into the um, into the novels and what they were saying about about race, about class, American history. Um, and there was this clash with the teachers guides. Um, and I mean, in terms of, of, you know, what's going on in the United States at the moment regarding um, the uh, focus on critical race theory and the idea that this is somehow being taught in schools up and down the land. Um, you know, if you look at what Mildred Taylor is saying about American history, specifically through a character who is a teacher, versus the emphasis that the companion guides seem to have, um, there seemed to be a real kind of mismatch. And I thought that was quite interesting and something being able to kind of critically read teacher's guides and companion guides, I thought was something that would be useful for, for educators as well. Yeah, I think it's a good way of kind of um, exploring how, you know, how research that people are doing can be made accessible to a, a, a wider audience as well. You know, the scholarship shouldn't necessarily just be for scholars. You know, there's a, a huge amount of fantastic work that should be shared with more people and, and through educational settings is a, is a really good place to, uh, to do that. Um, especially, I suppose, given what you're currently working on, um, which is... Uh, identity representation and coming of age in football fiction uh, for children. There's a lot of scope for that. Um, so tell us a little bit about that that research, what you're finding, kind of what inspired you to, to do that work. Oh, I think you've frozen for me. Oh, you're there. You're, you're frozen, yeah, so just, but you're back. Um, so yeah, just tell us a little bit about the work you're doing about football fiction for children and kind of um, what have you found so far? What inspires you to, to kind of do that work? Um, it's something I really wanted to look at, partly because there is so much of it um, and hasn't that hasn't been really written about at all. I think one of the interesting things about children's literature as a field is that there is, and I think it's partly, um, you know, because it is um, a less mainstream academic field that has had to struggle to be accepted as a serious thing there is a certain sort of literary snobby snobbishness yeah. um you know that that we write about good books um and these are the books that count as being good books um which i find i find completely bizarre partly because it is children's literature so we should be interested in what children actually like and want to read um, and partly because it excludes vast numbers of the children's books that are published every year, um, yeah. of which football books make up and sports books in general make up, you know, a, a significant part of that. 
Um, so that was that was one reason. Um, the other reason for thinking about particularly inclusion and representation is the there is some amazing work being done in children's literature, uh, not not all within the or even mainly within the academy. I would say um, there are you know amazing projects like the um, Reflecting Realities report um, that's led by Farah Saruk at the Center for Literacy in Primary Education. Um, scholars like Melody uh, Ramdash and Bold, uh, Brianna McDaniel, um, who are really kind of leading the conversation on um, inclusive fiction, inclusive publishing, looking at who's represented in the books, who, um, who are the authors, um, who works in publishing, you know, kind of all, all of this. Uh, and I was very aware, being a fan of, of football books, that Actually, there is a lot of um, different representation within those books, um, particularly thinking about race and class. Uh, I can't think of any other subgenre of children's literature that has as many working class characters, has as many black characters. Um, so, you know, the, even that that have as many interesting conversations about gender and what what are girls supposed to do and what yeah. what a boy supposed to do. Um, so it, it's it seemed like a way to kind of um, get involved in, in that scholarship, uh, but through a genre of books that I also really enjoy reading. Yeah. I think <laughs> in the wake of... Children enjoy reading as well. Well, yeah, absolutely. In the wake of, you know, the Euro 2020 uh, defeat and the, um, you know, the, the reaction of... A minority of fans, but sadly far too big a minority of fans. Um, you know, that those conversations about race and football that, you know, that children can see through literature um, are really valuable. I, I read um, a friend of mine tweeted that I think on the evening of the, the final, after it all happened, or the day after, you know, his um, he had to have a conversation with his eight-year-old son about racism and football and, and things like that, which he was, it broke his heart to have to do. Um, so I think the kind of literature that you're looking at with these positive uh, conversations that can be had um, are really valuable. And you mentioned when we were talking just before we started recording that, you know, you might be able to create like a spreadsheet of, of resources. Um, I think things like that, you know, for, for teachers who want to have these conversations will be, will be a really excellent, an excellent thing. Yeah, so I've, um, that's, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. I've, I've compiled, I've started making a, a spreadsheet of um, uh, all the books, uh, all the football books that have been published in the past 20 years. Um, and the next, the next kind of big stage is to start going through those and, and trying to get a sense of um, the different identities and, and subject positions that are represented within them. Um, and then to kind of dig down a bit deeper and and, and uh, spend some more time with a selection of those books. Mm -hmm. And, and um, yeah, like you say, it could be a case of uh, producing teaching notes, um, although quite a lot of football books uh, will come with teaching notes anyway, or at least kind of um, discussion questions. Uh, the Football Heroes series is really good for this. Um, 
the publisher will often have a kind of teaching pack, especially around a tournament. Yeah. So you're just kind of compiling all of that in one place. And, and like we were saying before, often a, a teacher will say, you know, I have a reluctant reader who really loves football. Um, what books are there? Or, you know, what books are there with girls playing football? Um, so yeah, it'd be nice to hand and be able to share that with people and hopefully encourage people to do some more research as well yeah. um, because there are hundreds there are hundreds of them um, and I had this idea oh well I'll do you know 99 to 2019 or something like that but I mean as you say the 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 idea of talking about race and racism in football without talking about the past 12 months without talking about the past week um yeah. you know slightly absurd uh the other big shift that i i think is is probably coming in terms of publishing trends is that the next five years i think we will see more um lgbt representation in football books for children um which there really isn't very much of but it's starting to appear oh, that's great there's no when to stop really is the um <laughs> I think it, just every year I'll just be updating updating yeah. the list. Yeah, you have started something. It's just going to be a never-ending job. <laughs> it's it's new. To, I mean, it's new for me because I work mostly with books that were published kind of decades ago. Um, although the week before the week before my Viva, um, Mildred Taylor's publisher announced the final book in 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 her series. So so. The, that kind of last minute pivot is 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 a familiar experience yeah but. absolutely it's great to hear that that there is slowly becoming better representation for uh lgbtq plus uh um in in children's literature because like you say that's probably the area that's um i would imagine as an outsider has not been covered quite as much so it's it's fab but it's getting there um so for your research, you applied for a BSSH COVID-19 research grant. Um, so how did the pandemic kind of impact your work? How did, how did the grant help? Um, so the, the main impact for me was really, uh, I mean, partly the slowdown in, um, in academic recruiting, um, because I, I mean, everyone finishes their PhD and thinks, ah, oh, of course, I shall stroll into my university <laughs> um, <laughs> and it will all be fine and sunshine after that. Uh, but I did, I sort of expected to be maybe a little bit further along in that sort of cycle of never ending applications. Yeah. Um, and the other big impact of uh, the pandemic, apart from things like being able to go to conferences in person um, and, and, you know, go to bookshops in person, uh, the big impact for me was uh, library closures. Um, and not just library closures, but as libraries are reopening, the actual process of getting to the source material, yeah. especially not on a reading list. I mean, the libraries, university libraries are obviously prioritizing, well, this is, you know, this is a text that undergrads need for exams. That's the one we're going to digitize. The 250 uh, children's football books that we have in a box in the attic are, are not going to be part of that so um you know even children's literature archives uh 
tend to be um tend to have kind of less popular fiction and more sort of historical fiction and literary fiction so um just being able to get access to the books um, so the grant was really fabulous um, the great thing about working with children's books is that they are very cheap um, yeah. so I just I used the grant to buy a big pile of books um, I worked with the amazing Marilyn Brocklehurst at um, the Norfolk Children's Book Centre to um, help me compile a list which was very helpful and um, yeah so it meant I you know was able to use a kind of um, a really well-regarded independent supplier rather than uh you know the, the dreaded website that yeah. we <laughs> like to avoid but not always possible um yeah so i've got a nice big pile of books to be read that i have started working through so that's been really great and i'm really grateful to the the vsoh for that um, i mean is, you make a great point about libraries and as someone who I, I don't live near my home institution, obviously I'm about to lose my access there anyway, um, but I can't access the University of Portsmouth uh, library because they're um, prioritising their own students as opposed to external readers. And, you know, so the COVID-19 grant can, can really help people to access stuff who, you know, if I want to go and look at academic books that now I've got to go to the British Library and that's that's a significant cost that has happened because of the pandemic um so yeah anyone listening folks you know that that research grant is still available um if it can help you because of um the pandemic impacting your work you know even if it's maybe access to a digital archive or um you know, digitized resources that um that you couldn't you can't access for whatever reason then uh, do let us know and do do apply for that um so you mentioned the conferences and, and missing you know not being able to go to conferences in person um and it, it's great that you know as things stand uh, our, our conference will be in person at the end of august uh, but you presented at the last uh, annual conference um and you were on a panel about uh, the writing of history uh, how did you find that that whole experience um i i think that's been my only um digital conference experience where I was giving a full panel paper. So it was slightly terrifying um, because you can't, you don't get that feeling in the room of, of what the audience is thinking kind of when you've been going on too long and you can see people start to yawn. Um, you don't get that kind of feedback, um, which in some ways makes it more difficult, but can also make it easier because you're just sort of focused on on, um, on the presentation. I really enjoyed the conference. Um, I really, I really just love digital conferences because I think they're so accessible. Um, you know, you can you can listen to someone give an amazing talk while you're doing the washing up. Then you can put the kids to bed and go and watch a pre-recorded talk afterwards. Yeah. You know, it's um and when they're done well which i i think the the um this one was you do still get that sense of community and and um our chair uh had we had a zoom call with our chair beforehand to kind of test that that everyone knew what was going on which which was really nice um and i was also really um 
just really thrilled to be accepted as a non-historian into the I, I just I had visions of of people just being very kind of um outraged by my lack of historianness um and saying but this isn't proper research at all and it wasn't like that of course it was uh, it was really welcoming um people seemed you know really interested it's the first and only conference I've ever been to where there were kind of more people with northern accents than I could keep track of um which is just really delightful in academia yeah um so no it was a really good experience yeah and I think I think you make a great point that you know from an outsider they might see the British Society of Sports History and think it's a really kind of narrow field that's only about sports history but actually it's um incredibly incredibly diverse you know um we've had students writing their extended projects for the extended projects award and their writing is has got a little bit of history in it but it's got a lot of contemporary stuff in it um so although we you know it's the british society of sports history um you know we we welcome um folks from all kind of like say from from literature from leisure studies or um you know there's it's not just about i guess classic sports history which is uh which is nice um i really enjoy going to conferences and hearing about things that perhaps i wouldn't have otherwise otherwise heard about um so one thing that I've, I've got to come back to after having read your thesis is in your dedication, you mentioned that you collected NFL stickers as a child. And I couldn't possibly chat with you uh, with my interest in the NFL um, to find out if you still follow the sport uh, in any way, support anyone, anything like that. I actually don't. It was something my, my dad used to do. Um, he passed away when we were all teenagers. Um, so it's something I really strongly associate with him and, and yeah. childhood, yes, but we were, he, uh, he used to stay up late and listen to it on the radio. Um, or I think, um, I think when Channel 5 started, they used to show late night games on Channel 5, possibly. We used to stay up and, and or video the, the games. And um, we were all assigned, um, me and my three, were all assigned a team to support so I had the 49ers they were my team nice. uh, there was you know there was a long-standing family joke that my brothers um are named after uh Dan Marino and Joe Montana um so but I yeah I definitely remember having the stickers and I used to um used to sort of do drawings and decorate them with the stickers but yeah. it was it was my dad's interest really and he you know, he used to keep, uh, used to get those kind of um, double entry accounting books and like keep meticulous records of all the scores. Fantastic. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, I would, now that it's actually here and they come to Wembley, I, I, I would love to go and see a game and, and try and learn a bit more about it. And obviously um, from your research, learn a bit more about the, the history of the women's game. Yeah. Um, really fascinating as well but there is even now the beginnings of um some children's literature um i know that uh <clears throat> phoebe Schechter, who uh captains the great britain women's contact team she's also worked for the buffalo bills as a uh, as a coach as an intern um 
but she has she co-authored and I forget I think it's one of the guys that plays for the the Great Britain flag team but they together wrote like a um a illustrated um kids uh, kids book um about um American football I think it's about a girl who wants to play American football and all that sort of stuff so it's, it's a nice little crossover from uh from my interest to, in, into yours um I might send you the link in case you're interested in um in looking at it because it's a uh, it's uh it's interesting yeah get back get back into supporting the the 49ers and um from my point of view they were one of the very first teams to uh to hire a female coach so um and then to have uh, a coach at a, a super bowl so um yeah i'm all for the 49ers even though they're not my team but yeah <laughs> um, it's one of the nice things about doing this project as well is that people you know whose research interests are in other sports will say well oh actually there are loads of basketball books there are you yeah. know loads of ice books yeah um and that's i mean that's what's lovely about um i find with bssh and other organizations you know this um for the vast majority of the time it's a lovely kind of collegiate atmosphere and kind of sharing stuff and supporting one another which is um something that i especially try and do with the early career researchers and uh, and postgraduate members just you know be there to try and help each other and if we see something someone might like you know send it their way um but yeah thank you so much for this for this conversation it's your research is fascinating I can't, I can't wait to read um what comes out of it um and I, like you said I think that it's going to be it's going to be great for uh um for educators for teachers I know a lot of primary school teachers would be fascinated by uh you know knowing what kind of resources are out there so yes thank you very much for for joining us thank you so much for having me um so like i said in the conversation folks don't forget that the covid19 research grant uh, is still running um there are also research grants for postgraduate and early career researcher members uh, you can apply for them at any time there's no particular time of year you need to apply and also um do get in touch if you want to be featured on the podcast uh, and chat about the, the fab research that you're doing. Uh, that's it for now. Thanks for listening, everyone.